Shara Amlock and Gio Kabuyan are the husband and wife duo behind the hood-famous bake shop in Seattle. On this two-part episode, they discuss the influence of their Filipino culture, meeting in middle school, their activism work, and the influence of Gio's music career as a member of Blue Scholars and The Bar. Enjoy. What's up, everybody? I go by the name of Domo. And I go by the name of Yoshiko. We sit with entrepreneurs and artists across disciplines to share their stories, insight, and gems. Their journey will inspire you to think about community and your own narrative, how it shapes who you are and what your legacy will be. You're listening to No Blueprint. No Blueprint. No Blueprint. No Blueprint. You are listening to No Blueprint. Hi, I'm Shara Amlek. I am the co-owner of Hood Famous Bake Shop. Hi, this is Gio Kibuyan, a.k.a. Prometheus Brown, and I ride shotgun with Hood Famous Bake Shop. Awesome. If y'all had a biography, what would the title be? Plot twist. It's a bio slash documentary about both of y'all. <laughs> a joint. <laughs> and I've listened to the podcast, so I should have known this was coming. And I should have like rehearsed. And we should have talked we about this before. We should have. Oh, we were in the um, car all day today, too. <laughs> Let's see. What? Let's see if we could. What, what kind of different responses on the fly? We were born at the same time in the universe, right? Within a few hours of each other. Really? Mm-hmm. So, oh. and then... So you guys have joint yeah. birthday parties? Yeah. So I was born on February 19th. She was born in 1980, but I was born in California. No, you're the 19th. I'm 20th. Yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, I'm on the 19th. She's on the 20th. But you were in 1980. Cali. I was in Cali. She was born in the Philippines. So uh, accounting for the time difference, yeah, um, yeah. we were born like four hours apart. Are you? Oh wow, Pisces. But yeah. he's more of a cusp. Yeah, Aries. Yeah, yeah. Airy. I think you're the first full day of Pisces, and I'm like, on how about? The cusp be some kind of variation of everything that we we've done together from food and shit to hood famous to I don't know maybe we can make like a portmanteau out of all the food food famous and shit and music and love and now it's just becoming a hot mess but that's cool that's that's reflective of what our lives shit and love yeah food famous music shit and love there you go that's that's amazing. That's amazing. I, listen, we can't we can't wait. You know, speak, we're speaking this into existence because you know it'll happen. Starring um, uh, Ernie Reyes Jr. and um, Tamla Tamita. <laughs> that's amazing. Done. You're only the set. You are only the second person to know who would play y'all. Yeah. Who was the other one? Priya. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Yes. Really sing. Yes. That was a good one. Yes. I have a follow-up question. Yeah. Background music to the scene. That was a good question. It has to have Madonna. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It'd be Ma- Preferably Lucky Star. Okay. And maybe some Borderline. And what would the opening yeah. scene be? Maybe Madonna's Lucky Star is playing in the background, and then it's like us meeting but then it like backtracks to our childhood because we were both in the philippines at the same time when you were oh yeah it would be how old 
Well, when you were living there, this was 1984. So we were both four years old. And I had family in Olongapo City. Uh, so we were visiting my auntie when I was four years old. Uh, small world was that her grandma knew my dad's oldest sister because uh, she managed a restaurant in Olongapo. And then when where we, I grew up, when we started dating, like we, they were just, we were just sitting with our families asking like, where are your family from? Who knew what? And it turned out like our, our family members had crossed paths uh, before we even met. That's crazy. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So maybe that. It, it, it may or may not have actually happened, but it would be these two kids, one from America, one from the Philippines, who cross each other's path at this restaurant, not knowing that they would end up together halfway across the world. That's crazy. I like it. Yes. To Madonna. <laughs> which Madonna. Act, to Madonna. Which would be playing from oh, the restaurant's music speakers. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. In, Perfect. in 1984. That's exactly why. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's dope. That's dope. Go. That's good. That's yes, good. that was great. That's not bad. That was great. Describe a day in the kitchen growing up when someone was cooking. Who was cooking? What were they cooking? What did it smell like? Were you helping? I had a I had a job. So my job was to always peel the garlic and, you know, the mortar and pestle, like, basically crush it up. Because a lot of uh, the dishes that my mom, mainly, was the, the cook. And then my dad would cook his, like, special dishes, but then my mom is usually the, ones co- the one that was cooking. But my job was to always do garlic. It was always, like, the garlic onion. Mm-hmm. That was, like, the first thing that went in the pan so with a little bit of oil. So you got all the strong stuff. Yeah. Did you have siblings? I I do. I so I am the eldest of four. Okay, so yeah. they let the eldest be the be the one to yeah <laughs> always to, always. to the tears. Yes. Yeah, the youngest doesn't do nothing. Right, <laughs> right. And any grandparents around? Yeah, my my grandma lived with us since I was about ten, and she passed away when I was in my early twenties, and so. I grew up with three generations in the wow. house. Yeah. Wow. So did, was was your grandmother the one to pass down recipes? Did she cook? We called her Nanae, and she... I actually don't remember her cooking very much, but she was always on top of the health stuff. Okay. Like, she was doing fish oil before it was, oh. you know, before like... Before it was popping. Before it was nice. popping. And nice. She was... She actually owned her own business in the Philippines. So entrepreneurship. Yes. Yeah, so, That's um, She definitely... She was a fierce lady. What, what did uh, she do? Yeah, what kind of business? She... So, when in the Philippines, because we were so close to the base, oh. she would just hustle. So, she would, like, buy and sell. Nice. Like um, buy things like that she could get at the base and then sell it outside the base. She was <laughs> she was flipping. Yeah, she was definitely a flipper. That's it. But yeah, she was just like audacious and like fearless. Geo, the kid. We're we're in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. What does it look like? What are you doing? What is your role? I'm hanging out, being impatient, asking <laughs> when, when the food's gonna be done. Um, I was uh, I was a heavier set kid. I struggle with, you know, the body image <laughs> my whole life, and part of it is due to my inability to um, regulate how much I eat when I love something. And my, I think my parents recognize that. You know, being immigrants from the countryside in the Philippines, for them it was new. You know, they grew up eating probably like nothing but 
a, a dish that was 90% rice with a little bit of vegetables and barely any meat. Meat was a special occasion thing. But then you get to America and it's a struggle for a little bit. But once you get your once you you got your foot down and things stabilized a little bit it's almost like every day is a celebration yes. you start having like steak every day and, <laughs> and pork belly every day and things like Listen. that the foods that used to be the special occasion foods become like the staples uh, which I didn't know you know uh, growing up so we had a bunch of that a bunch of early on a lot of Pork belly, sinigang, uh, adobo was always a, a staple. Not so much on like lumpia and pancit, that, that was like the, the party foods. But adobo was the first thing that I learned how to cook just by watching, just by watching and, and asking questions. Mom and Pop didn't really show me, it was more just like, you know, I mean, I guess they would show just out because I was curious. At one point, they started having me actually make it now and then. Uh, rice, definitely like preparing rice using the finger method, uh, measuring the rice. Yes. Uh, rice, rice cooker or, or pot? Uh, rice cooker. Okay. Actually, uh, early on it was it was a it was a pot early on. See, that's why. I asked. Like, that's why. I asked. But I'm the only one in my family that remembers that. Like, if you mm, ask any yeah. of my three younger sisters, they have no memories of eating rice out of a, a stovetop pot. I do. They're like we always had a rice cooker. Yeah, and then it was rice cooker, and then from then on it was like a no-brainer. It was rice yes. cooker all the time. My pops did the majority of the cooking okay uh and my mom similar to the dynamic share and i have in our family uh, my dad did a lot of the the savory cooking the stews the meats and then uh when my mom's did cook it was more it was desserts it was a uh, puto cachenta and then she had a side hustle where she would she made it for parties like all the time and i think word got out beyond just like our immediate circle of aunties and uncles and she would make it for every weekend as far back as i can remember and even all the way up until my teens when we moved to Bremerton, but definitely in hawaii uh making uh filipino party desserts okay. uh and then slanging them to different filipino families who would, who would buy them uh, for their parties uh, and then even when i started driving like i would at that point, I became the delivery person for, <laughs> for some of these things. Yes. But I never learned how to do that. I think she, so mom's was definitely more of the uh, kind of like share, like patient measuring, actually measuring the ingredients, <laughs> measuring the, the, the time, uh, temperatures, things like that, which you got to do if right. you're going to do like baking or desserts. Mm -hmm. And then my pops was always like, trying new things out he was always like he would be sometimes be like too salty under seasoned over seasoned <laughs> a lot of funk both my parents are ilocano so they were heavy on uh you know beyond just the uh, shrimp paste bagong that yeah. that most uh, folks familiar with filipino food know about they they had they made their own bagong they okay. would like yeah. take all types of fish and just like let it rot in jars <laughs> in the garage <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yes, <laughs> yeah. yes. And I it's would, like a fine wine uh -huh. right? <laughs> okay the, the older the better <laughs> no, they still the more have, pungent the better they still have, they they still have unopened jars of, of fish that is, have just been breaking down in its own bacteria since like the early 90s that they'll crack open and be like oh this is i remember this, this is that good fun. stuff <laughs> like it brings back the memories of when like you know when jordan was still playing ball anyway. <laughs> <laughs> nice. uh, but it was so that was the filipino side of things just like sure we didn't go out much to eat except for fast food and buffet mm -hmm. and then i think as time went on 
moms and pops started cooking more and more American food to please their children's American palates. And they're like, oh, we're having adobo again. We want pizza. We want burgers. So, you know, I think they at first would try to make their own version of it. And we like, this sucks. <laughs> so, uh, unfortunately, yeah, it, it started becoming more and more Americanized as, as time went on. Did you have grandparents around? I had my dad's mom my grandma on my dad's side lived with us when i was really young and then uh, she went back to the philippines i think she missed it and then my mom's mom lived with us from yeah probably like same thing like most of my my life up until my early 20s um, okay. she passed okay did she cook at all yeah she did but she wasn't she cooked like maybe three or four dishes over and over and over she and over again. She was not taking requests. Yeah, <laughs> not at all. Definitely, yeah. And it was always, in those three or four dishes were pretty much variations of one dish. Okay. You know, like there's a, in Ilocano, there's a, like, dinung which is just a straight up vegetable stew, mm. almost unflavored or flavored, the flavors from the vegetables themselves. Or it'd be that with maybe some shrimp or then that, like a drier version, sauteed with some shrimp paste, and that's called pinak bet. But it was always like 90% a bunch of vegetables cooked okay. together kind of thing. All right, keeping it healthy. Yeah, she was that's, all about that. That's what's up. Tell me about high school. Y'all went to high school together? Yeah, we, we dated the entire time in high school. Tell me about high school. On and off, mostly on. We took the summers off. Okay. <laughs> so she was going to the Philippines or Australia. So you gonna leave all summer? Yeah, pretty much. We didn't hang out in the summer, and that could that trend continued even well into uh, college, and and then into adulthood when I would go on tour in the summer as a musician. So we do, we just don't hang out in the summer. Yeah. We, just, we, don't we just didn't like it right. each other in the summer. Uh, but no, we went to Olympic High School. Okay. In Bremerton. Yeah, I let's see. So we met in middle school, and then he went to a different middle school. So like high school in Olympic was like the first time we were we both got to go to the same school, mm. and it was it was interesting. Like I had my crew, he had his. What type of students were y'all? Okay, so Geo used to hang out with this crew called Barcada. And it was a bunch of like Filipino Filipino guys, but then he was and girls Ooh. and girls and uh, <laughs> but mainly dudes and um, but he was really a nerd inside. Okay. Okay. And so he joined like drum club and but you know there was never like an Asian male role right back then. So you did. I was stage manager. Uh, you stage. You were like you stage managed and oh, what were the what were the um, the competitions called? Quiz bowl. Quiz bowl. He went. He traveled with the school team to go to quiz bowl. Oh yeah, for drama. Guy, yeah. No, so this was like he was in drama, right? And uh, then he joined the whiz bowl quiz bowl club. Whiz bowl. What is quiz? <laughs> <laughs> 
She's trying to make it sound as corny as possible. So wait, was Quiz Bowl like a like a trivia? Like trivia? Okay. Trivia. He traveled with the trivia team. He traveled with the trivia team. Yeah, we won. We won. We won things, man. I got you know I got better grades than him, but he was always you know actually smarter. He had like, the random facts on. He had a all lot. the random facts, Got and it. we um we did a history project together, and it was like kind of his brainchild. We did a history project on uh, Sacco and Vincetti, right? <laughs> we almost wait. What did we do? It was like all this close to going to either regionals or nationals, but wow. there was Came like... Came in third place. Second, yeah. First and second went to Washington, D.C. Yes. for history day. We could have traveled together, together to the, Washington, D.C. What was the first and second prize winners? What did they do? Oh, no. They were some, lame. Some okay. shit where their parents probably helped them out. <laughs> I, was try, I was trying to see how petty they were if they were... If they were. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Gio was definitely like, you know, I think that guy, very multidimensional. Yeah. And super smart. He was writing poetry yeah. back then. But yeah, I mean, I think that was was so interesting. Yeah. Like I was like, I don't meet any other dudes like this. Like yeah. he's so like there's so many dimensions and we met on the phone and he was like playing Jeopardy and like answering all the questions <laughs> right. And I was like, who is this guy? <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> right, yeah. what, else? what else about you? Uh, no, he was going to air all right. <laughs> 15-year-old me all out to the internet. No. Yeah, yeah. No, that's accurate. Yeah. That's fair. Right. Accurate. What else? What else did I? There's so much more, but yeah. multidimensional. Okay. Sometimes misunderstood. Okay. Sometimes. There, there's a high school sharer that I, I thought I knew on the surface. <laughs> I mean, this is how we met. You, she, I was, I was dating her friend, so I, I wasn't thinking of her in that way. And the, the path that we did cross in this small community was mostly a church, mm-hmm. where she was in the choir. She was singing in the choir and a Catholic Sunday Sunday school teacher for kindergartners. She was a Catholic Sunday school teacher. I yeah. was. It was called okay. CCD. Yeah, CCD. Okay. Okay. Um, I actually taught. Gio's youngest sister, yeah, Janelle, Sunday school, was, Janelle, uh, who is now our creative director for Hood Famous Big Shot. Shout out, shout out to Janelle. <laughs> yes. Shout out to Janelle. True she story. Was, she was in kindergarten. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's crazy. That is um, crazy. But that's who Shara was. Like, I'll, like, and I say this with, with so much love, like a s- super square bear. <laughs> Just real wholesome. Oh my God. Just real nice, nice girl yeah. who I've come to found out like had a little bit of a mean streak underneath that because very shortly after we started talking um, after I broke up uh, with with her homegirl was I remember this was like this district dance where Shara the the mostly quietest girl out of her crew yeah. was the one that like stepped up to try to fight this white girl at this dance oh, who was talking man. shit. <laughs> and I remember at that oh moment God. I was like, yo, that's that's the one. That's the one. <laughs> <laughs> the one that seems like she's like on the surface just as like I mean and, and is is genuinely just like sweet, nice and everything. Um but 
don't don't test her yes um and so i think that translated as well you know everything you did in school like you said you you did you did hella well academically um that's right played sports (laughs) what sports soccer okay Mm -hmm. you did softball too or fast pitch fast pitch track yeah um did you you tried out for cheerleading no i couldn't my mom told me oh yeah your mom yeah she said it was too expensive Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Um, and also very active in both community and on campus. So on and off campus, like very involved in like from student council, student government. Mm-hmm. So what were you doing? You were always doing some like volunteering type stuff. It's been so long ago. Like she would go to other schools to do things. To do, okay. <laughs> Like, I thought I that? wanted to be a teacher, so I went and I taught art to second graders. Yeah. What? In yeah. high school? Yeah. Wow. And teaching Sunday school at the same time? Oh my God, are you just making See? me sound like such a square? But for real, for real, yeah. Right? yeah. And, then, and then she'd sneak out on Friday nights after her, her 9 o'clock curfew to go hang out with the bad kids. Right. Sorry. Right, Sorry, not, Mom. Not, t- <laughs> not telling my mom to listen to this. Right. right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think... Uh, we didn't hearing hearing Shara describe me and then I'm saying all these things out loud that I don't think it's not like we sit around describing right. ourselves or day. each other to each other but it makes sense now uh, all these years later did y'all both go straight from high school to UW? yeah I think it was one of those I wasn't even thinking about any other schools and so I thought it was either going to be like UW or Western and just apply it to like the state schools. I'm going to try to paraphrase this because Geologic the Rapper is its, is its own separate podcast <laughs> that, <laughs> could, separate that could podcast. go so, yeah, so yeah, many yeah. directions. You meet Sabzi at UW. Mm-hmm. Part of the student hip hop organization in Washington, the show. Yes. Uh, the show. Yes. It was a ragtag bunch of students who try to fill the void of there not being a presence of. There were hip hop heads on campus, fans. And some of us knew each other from going to shows off campus. Mm-hmm. Uh, the few all ages shows that were happening. Uh, but we try to. It was, we try to fill the void on campus and it was like a, uh, we were there early on but it, it was really like this core group that included this dude uh, Mark the homie Mark Matsui who wrote for the Daily who made a call out saying like anybody any hip hop heads want to meet up let's figure something out let's try to get a presence on campus which then snowballed into doing shows that included and he was uh, like your first the Blues College yeah, first yeah. manager um, and yeah a couple years down the line well, throughout, like people came through that organization and ended up doing all types of different things yeah. that for years after we left campus yeah. uh, were fruitful relationships. We learned a lot behind the scenes of just being promoters, being in the scene, Absolutely. meeting uh, other cats in the scene who've been doing it for a while, uh, seeing how it runs on a business end, and then actually meeting artists that we look up to. Absolutely. Uh, so. That was the birthplace right there. Fast forward, you worked at Mesa. Mm -hmm. How did that experience inspire y'all and what y'all do now? With Mesa and like working with the youth? Yeah. I think when you 
support students and are constantly telling them to pursue their passions, Mm -hmm. to take risks, and to understand that, you know, anything worth doing is going to be challenging and uncomfortable. Mm And being the first one in your family as first-generation college students, you're you're going to have to trailblaze a little bit, and that path isn't going to be as smooth as it will be maybe for your siblings or folks that you know come come after you've you've done a little bit of work. I just remember just feeling like my students were really supportive of the transition. Like I said earlier, it was a really really hard choice because. We have two kids, try to be responsible parents, and to try to have both of us be self-employed, living that kind of, you know, the instability of not having a nine-to-five, because I was always that, you know, for most of it where... Okay, I, you know, I got I got the state, you know, the state benefits, and you know, we knew that a a regular salary was going to come. Some months were really great, some months were all right, you know, some months were a little bit more challenging. But I think it was my mom, you know, who said, "Why not?" Mm-hmm. Like I think when she said, you know, like do this like you you don't don't let this be something that you'll regret she you know she she got sick during the time when we were doing food and shit pop-ups I think when you know you're faced with a family member who has cancer and Uh you're you're kind of like faced with your own you're it's natural I think to think about your own mortality right right and so it was that that all of that together that I think made me really think about what am I doing right Am I doing what I love? Am I living the life that I'm trying to tell my students, right? To live as far as like following their dreams and their passions. And then and then I think just realizing that starting Food and Shit was like the most fun yeah. that I've had in a really long time, you know, as a couple in our relationship. And so all of that, yeah. I think, helped inspire me to to make the decision to like quit my job nice so 2013 y'all have your 10-year anniversary Mm -hmm. and you decide to do a dinner for friends and family Sarah decided and then she convinced me to to do most of the work (laughs) okay (laughs) whose idea was to call it food and shit that was me. He, it was his. It was a place marker on the computer for the menu. Yeah, for okay. the, for the name of just the menu, not. I mean, there was no pop up. It was yeah. one. It was a one time thing. Yeah. And be nice. Yeah, I try to be clever with the name of the menu. Couldn't think of something. Had a placeholder name. I was like, it's. No, it was, there was no food and shit. It was gumbo and shit. Okay. That was the name of the menu. Okay. And oh, so. Yeah. When we sent it we're out, serving to, gumbo. yeah. When we yes. sent it out to family and friends, that's just pretty much what I. And also because it was a course menu, and I only knew that I was going to make gumbo. I remember I, that. I didn't figure out what, what else was going to be on the menu. So for the time being, if we were already starting to invite people, because it wasn't open to the public, it yeah. was just like open to family and friends. And then we reserved like a handful of seats for those family and friends to maybe invite um, someone that they know personally. Yeah. Um, and anybody that asked 
what was what were we having? I was like, I don't know, gumbo and shit. <laughs> so that became the name of that menu. I was I was I was in the building. Uh, I got the I got the call from Sincere because I actually I lived in those apartments that are connected to Nas, mm-hmm. and so I got the call and was like, oh, this is pretty cool. Yeah. I was like, and it wasn't just that one. You you were at a, at yeah, a yeah 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 yeah. And so I was, I was like, I live around the corner. I don't have any excuses. I gotta, I gotta show up, show love. So, what about from touring in hip hop to y'all being signed, Blue Scholars being signed to the people, and doing the Kickstarter campaign, independent labels, and creating your own label? What did you take away from being a hip hop artist? How did that inspire or affect or? what you do now and what you did with food and shit and how, how that mm. inspired. Ah, so many, so many levels that are all interconnected. One definitely being the business aspect of, you know, you, you do something first and foremost because you love it, regardless of whether it'll make you money or not. But then you also got to be practical with your time, support yourself right. in whatever way and realistic while still having goals. So having gone through that process with the music, because it was very much a pipe dream early on. And there was no plan. It was not like, all right, I'm gonna start, I'm gonna get better, I'm gonna work on my craft, I'm gonna network, I'm gonna put out a, a demo, I'm gonna build towards this career. That wasn't there. It was just, did it because you love it for a long time. When opportunities arise, take advantage of them, develop relationships, but even then it wasn't networking. It was really like just finding like-minded people along the way mm-hmm. that you look back five years later and you're like, oh, I was networking the whole time. Absolutely. Just by being part of the scene Absolutely. and participating. So, And I wanted to keep it organic too because I, I, having gone through that process, there was definitely early on some tendencies to and when we decided to actually do a monthly to get ahead of ourselves like all right we have opportunity especially with the platform i had as an artist to to blow it up and i actually did the opposite of what was going on so blue scholars was still even though we were on hiatus from touring uh, we're still doing spot dates and still very much active in our community and in the scene mm-hmm. and i was starting to do things with bamboo as the bar so i was letting that be like my visible musician thing like the first three, four, five food and shit pop-ups. There was no press release. There was no Instagram or Facebook or Twitter account for the project. It was very much like a word of mouth neighborhood thing. If you weren't from Beacon Hill and you were at one of the first food and shit pop-ups, like it's, you you win. Like you, <laughs> you did some, you must have known somebody, you yes. did some homework, whatever, you were well connected. And then also I, I, I think I had a little thing where I, I wanted to grow with the folks that were part of part of it early on. That's what I took from the path that I had with Blue Scholars was you know, we didn't we didn't incubate and like refine our whole thing before putting out our first album. We were very much like on this super amateur tip, independent <laughs> amateur just whatever. Like we, we do what we love and we're we definitely have our own standards of quality. Right. But we also know we're like we, we are not resourced, we are not signed, we mm-hmm. don't have capital, we we're just gonna work with what we got. And the first album that was made mostly in um, the Saba's bedroom or the library. Um, Shout out to the <laughs> library studio. On a one thousand dollar credit card budget. Uh, we 
just made it happen. And so I, I think we, I wanted to approach this this endeavor with the pop-up restaurant similarly where yeah i could blast it out and i could we could be doing numbers just based off of like hey hey do you like my music come eat my food too <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. and i was just like nah let me just say like, let the music breathe let yeah. the food thing like it's more of a uh, let it be com community thing that I know will build. And I know people who are super paying attention because yeah. I'm definitely posting a lot of food stuff on my personal account. If you're really that in the know, then you'll come through, which it, it did as it's, like, I think word slowly got out. But mm -hmm. if anything I learned is, uh, yeah, scale. You want If you want to scale up on a healthy level, yeah. you don't. Don't jump oh, out the window. Yeah, you don't. Yeah, yeah you don't yeah. overextend yourself. Yeah. You, you do it at the pace that you you can keep up with. And so we we did that early on with food and shit. Uh, and then when it expanded to the, the opportunity to to do Hood Famous Bake Shop, that was a very much a. It might have seemed like it just happened overnight mm. from the outside looking in, but no, this this came on the heels of. Inspired Sheriff. by Crack and Kanji too, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, okay. shout to Crack and Kanji. Yeah. Uh, early on, that whole team was, uh, they started not, like, around the same time, like, I want to say uh, just a few months before we did our, our first one in 2013, but in the same year. And when, after we did our first one, and family and friends was like, y'all going to do another one, right? And <laughs> Ernie at E9s was like, yeah, anytime you want. And, and we're like, like oh, okay. Oh, okay, well, let us not just say yes. Let, let's ask people who um, who actually do this kind of stuff. So we Chef T, yeah, Chef Tarek. Yep. So that's yeah. within within the first couple of months of food and shit. We made sure we're like, yo, these cracking kanji folks who we actually had a connection with just through the community, and then also uh, Chef Garrett uh, had won the Adobo Fest that we held in conjunction with Station Coffee Shop. Shout out to the station. Party, yes, yeah, uh, the party. In August 2013. So this was all happening like within months of each other. Wow. Um, and then shortly after we met T over here. When he start, was starting Human to do City. stuff over there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, when he was, uh, I think he had just went to the brunch format uh, okay. around the same time. So yeah. he had already been doing the uh, the DJ and a cook late night pop up, mm -hmm. which I believe was the first one that ever popped up on my radar. As, okay. Even what the the term pop up restaurant. Absolutely. I think I uh, when Saba was living out in New York, I I knew that there was things going on in New York like in the early 2010s. Mm -hmm. At the time, uh, I think I saw some stuff going on in, in other cities. But as far as Seattle goes, like Chef Tarek Abdullah, I believe is the the pop up guy. Is the mm. pop up <laughs> uh, the triple OG of Seattle's pop up Absolutely. culture, which is uh, has exploded since, and that we're very grateful for. How did the ube ube cheesecake come along? Okay, how did it? Okay, so we actually did that. We did the ube cheesecake October two thousand thirteen. It was the second pop up. Okay, sorry to be continued. This concludes the first part of this two-part interview. If you liked what you heard, be sure to donate so we can keep going. We are on SoundCloud, iTunes, and YouTube, so be sure to subscribe, rate, and comment. You have no idea how much it helps. We also want to know what you think. You can hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and you can even use the hashtag NoBlueprint. And if you're really down with the movement, you can join our Patreon account and become a patron, where you'll get exclusive content and limited edition merchandise. 
No Blueprint is powered by Ambassador Stories. We share stories of the people, places, and spaces that bring soul to our communities. No Blueprint is recorded at Ambassador Stories Studios and co-produced with me, Mayawa Aina. Hear more episodes of No Blueprint and get official No Blueprint merchandise at noblueprintpodcast.com.